Welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with our hosts, local mortgage expert Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones, owner of Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. Ryan and Carson have the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to help explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first show of 2024. So I thought it'd be great to bring in a local expert, Jared Plew. He's with Infinity Title here in St. George. And I wanted to recap some of the things that happened in 2023 and maybe give you some predictions on where we feel the market's going to go here in Southern Utah for the coming year, maybe the next few years. So, Jared, I really appreciate you came on the show, got probably one of our most viewed shows last really? year. Yeah, everybody loved Jared Heck Plew. Yeah. So I uh, wanted to bring him back. He's one of the experts here in town. Infinity Title, one of my preferred title companies. So I want to kind of dive into some interesting numbers. And and to me, a lot of the numbers that we thought were going to happen just didn't. You know, there's all doom and gloom for 2023 that just didn't happen as much as we thought. So, but we were talking on the golf course the other day and it was really interesting some of the numbers that you wanted to bring up. So, let's dive right into some of our stats here, some of our slides and and jump into some of the market data for Washington County, Southern Utah. Yeah, so uh, you know, people ask me, "Hey, how was your year?" And it's like well, I don't know. It's it's relative, right? Like it compares. It depends on what I'm comparing it to. Right. If I'm comparing it to 2022, 21, 20, it's kind of a crappy year. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm comparing it back to like 2010, 11, like you know when it was really bad, it was a good year. Right. Right. So right. Uh, you can't just say you know it was a bad year, it was a good year. It's like, well, what are we comparing it to? So that's kind of what we want to do. If we look at slide five. Um, on here. This is uh, total sales and total loans in Washington County, just to kind of let you know where I got this data from. This is straight off county record. So, uh, loans is the trust deeds that were recorded with the county, and then sales is just transfer deeds that were recorded with the county. Um, so, this isn't necessarily what's coming from uh, the Board of Realtors or anything like that. It's just straight off county record. So, uh, if we look at that, so 8,000, last year, number of loans was 8,000, just over 8,000. So, uh, in the peak back in 2021, it was 21,000. Hmm. So, a little I bit mean, of a drop. <laughs> less than half the number of loans were closed in 2023 versus 2021. Um, if you look at sales, uh, it was 11,214 last year, uh, which is way down. Um, if you want to compare it to a previous year, it's right around 2016. So, if we look at back to 2015, 2016, that's really the, the, the level of production is what you can compare it to. Hmm. And if I go back in my mind to those years, 2015, 2016, I was super thrilled with the level of production that we had. I mean, hmm. we were coming off of 11, a 10, 11, 12, things were getting better and better. In all respects, 2015, 2016 was fabulous. Hmm. It was a great year. Um, but if we're comparing it to the last few years, it was a terrible year, right? Yeah, that's so, a really good pers- perspective because we see all this doom and gloom and all these record-breaking type things, and then you realize, well, really, no, it's going back to kind of before that COVID spike up of just interest rates being really low and people relocating out of diff- different areas. And and you see that I saw reports that we a lot of that was refinance business, way more those those deeds of trust and stuff like that that were being recorded. It was just a lot of refi business. 
that we did. In fact, I saw a report that we did the equivalent of like five years worth of refis in 18 months. So it just shows how much that was just scrunched down to that particular time frame, and that kind of stopped as rates moved up. So refis have been a big reason why the volume in the deeds of truck probably have dropped off like crazy. Refis have just disappeared, yeah, yeah. because we did so many of them in a short window. Kind of got it was it got rid of the need for refis over the last twenty four months. Yeah, yeah, and and rest assured, refis will come back. I right. mean, everybody that got a loan in the last year to two years is sitting on a pretty high interest rate, relatively high interest rate. Right. And so, as soon as rates get below that, like you know, six in the fives, all, all those people are going to want to refinance. So you know, that's great. Let's pull up slide number seven. That brings up the one of the slides that I have here. I think it's number seven. Um, now let's go to number six. Sorry, there it is. Okay, so this is a report here that we had from um, FHFA, which is the governing body over most of the mortgage loans that are out there. And you can see on the slide here, eighty percent, seventy-eight point seven percent of mortgage loans are under five percent. If you throw in up to 6%, it's almost 90% of all loans out there. So anybody over or under 6 isn't going to refi because rates were 7, kind of pushing 8%. Yeah. So you saw this lull of not only not, nobody wanting to sell because they couldn't replace their interest rate, but nobody needed to refi. They took advantage of the refinance by getting the rates somewhere in that 3 to 4 range is what most people ended up getting. So I found this slide to find that pretty interesting. That's nationwide. That's a lot of refinance business kind of crammed into a very short window. And then as soon as rates kind of went back to what we would consider normal over the last 70 years, refis just plummeted. They just absolutely went away. Yeah. And by the way, that that stat, that graph, isn't just affecting refinances. That's affecting sales as well. Right. Because all of those people that are sitting on 3 4 5%, they're in a position where they want to make a change, like they want a bigger house, they want a smaller house, they want to live in that neighborhood versus this neighborhood. They want to change, but they're saying to themselves, I'm not giving up this 3% interest right. rate. I'm sitting on it. I'm going right. to wait it out. And so there's a lot of pocket listings, not necessarily pocket listings, but potential listings that are out there that those those sellers are just waiting for that magic rate. And everybody's rate's different, but they're waiting for that magic rate when they're like going to pull the trigger and actually put their house up for, on the right. market. Right. So the rates had the effect of helping with inflation and kind of letting supply catch up. But then all of a sudden, supply didn't really... Demand might have slowed a little bit, but supply also kind of went down almost equally. So that's what you're seeing in the buzzword now. Like last year was crash, crash, crash. Now I keep hearing the word reverse crash, where basically as soon as the rates do drop, there's going to be a lot of buyers that are going to show up and there won't be the inventory to catch up to it. So that's the idea of some of the things the Fed's trying to do is just stabilize things, let things kind of catch up. So hopefully we'll see that more and more through 2024. Then you have an election year, which is always a lot of uncertainty, a lot of just wait and see what happens with that. So I think you're going to see a little more of that through this year. And probably 2025, you'll see both inventory and demand get more in sync. They're still just kind of out of whack. They're closer than what we where we need them to be. But you can still, like you said, you're going to have a lot of people that want to sell that can't. They can't replace their interest rate. And the home price is still way more than what they're into their home. So it's going to be an interesting wait and see kind of year, I think. But yeah. the good news is we are off the highs. We got the rates that were getting pretty close to 8% in October of last year. We're now down into less than the 70 year average. So we're right about, I think, where it's going to stabilize for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think what's hard, if we want to look at slide one, I think what's hard, if I'm, if I'm coming from the perspective of a, uh, a real estate agent, and, and we're and I said that you know the level of production or the number of sales that happened last year was comparable to 2016. Well, this graph shows you the number of realtors in Washington County over the last 20 years, and you can see if we go back to 2016, it was right around 850 
agents. Now we're up to 1980. So we have wow. more than a thousand more real estate agents in our market that are fighting over the same amount of deals that we had back in 2016. And then if you look at uh, slide number two, uh, this takes that into account. So this is sales per realtor, and this is going back 20 years ago. Uh, so if we go back to 2005, if everyone, if you were in the industry in 2005, like things were really good. Well, if you were a real estate agent, things were really, really, really good, really good because there <laughs> a were of a ton of deals happening and not a lot of competition for them. <laughs> and you fast forward all the way to last year, it was 5.7. So for every deal that was there. There was uh, 5.7, excuse me, every 5.7 deals for one agent. For every, and that's per year. Yeah, so that's, that's for the year. The, that's for the year. That's, that's for incredible. Year. Yeah. And that's what I always thought about St. George. I moved from other areas. There's a lot of real estate agents in Southern Utah. And even the, even the National Association of Realtors posted that less than, um, it was like less than one deal for the entire year last year for their members. You know, there's obviously going to be that 80 20 rule. 20% are going to do 80% of the business in almost any industry, but you definitely see that number probably going to 90 10, maybe yeah. 95 5. Yeah. There's just a huge amount of people that are part time, retire, kind of do one or two deals a year, you know, for family and stuff like that, yeah. that aren't doing the, the major volume that we're seeing out there. But that's yeah. an interesting set. We're seeing a lot of licensed loan officers not renewing as well. You're definitely seeing whether it was 08 or now this one is kind of a shrinking down of the part timers or people that really don't do this full time as a career because there is just less fish in the sea, especially yeah. on the refi side. If you were living on refis, which a lot of loan officers did, and they just disappeared, and you don't have any relationships or, or have that purchase business, it's gonna you're you're living pretty thin for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I looked at the the real estate production um, according to the board of realtors, local board of realtors. And uh, as I showed in that one, there was 1,980 agents. Well, there are only 1,500 agents that did a deal. So wow. we're talking four, wow. 400 agents, 400 plus agents that didn't even do one deal in 2023. And then there's another 500 or so that only did one deal. Hmm. And so that takes out a thousand agents. So half of the agents that did one or less. One or less. Wow. And then you look at another probably 500 or so did three or less. Hmm. So that 80-20 rule, yeah, it's probably more like 90-10. Um, but that's what that's what's crazy about 2023 is I talked to one agent and he's like, that's the best best year I've ever had. Mm. And then I talked to another agent. It's like, that's the worst year I've ever had. Mm. And so it was just, you know, again, it's just all relative. That, and that's interesting to see. I didn't realize we had that many. I remember we had like 1,500 agents. And I always said, why do we have 1,500 agents? So jumping up to 1980, that's a lot of agents for, like you said, how many listings there are, even homes that are for sale that are just kind of waiting for maybe rates to dip. And like I said, everybody has a different number. If they're at 3%, maybe they'll wait till rates get to 4 which maybe they never will. But I think the consensus, that 6 in front of the number, really helped the market at the first of the year. We already see applications up. People are at least willing to kind of take a look at the first of the year and just realize the worst may be behind us on the interest rates. But then I always hear, if it get 5 in front of that number, there'll be a whole new wave of people, even if it's 5.99999, right up to that number. If 5 gets in front of it, a lot of the people that are at that 3 to 4 rate We'll say, okay, now it's worth maybe making that upgrade to bigger house downgrade, move to a different school district, whatever the reasons are to move, you'll start seeing that kick up as well. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the realtor world. I mean, there's the big lawsuit, class action lawsuit mm. uh, regarding the seller paying for the buyer's agent commission. 
Um, so there's talks of, of how that's going to affect things. But in my opinion, there are too many agents. I think that there it needs to be fixed. There needs to be a greater barrier to entry. Hmm. And what that barrier to entry is, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, whether the dues need to be tripled or quadrupled or something hmm. like that. You know, it's got to be, in my opinion, it's got to be at least the cost of doing one deal. Hmm. And if it's the cost of doing a commission on one deal, then... I would think that everyone that's doing one deal or less is gone. Right. And right. they just don't renew. And it's interesting. In my business, I can't imagine only doing that many deals. I mean, you, you have to stay on top of so many things that are changing with underwriting guidelines. It's very difficult to do one loan. Not only just don't make the commissions that a real estate agent makes, but it's also very, very difficult to stay on top of all the loan changes and everything that's changing without having that type of thing. But it, it, you think it's an educational thing that if they have to kick up? That's what I worry. If you're only doing one deal a year, you can't be on top of everything that, that changes as much as just being in the business and actually being the full-time career-oriented people. Because it does seem like real estate agents have more part-timers than probably most industries yeah. that handle such a large transaction. I mean, it's a, one of the most important transactions you'll do is a mortgage or real estate or a purchase. So it is just important to, to pick the right team or the right real estate agent. Yeah, we learn as we do. Like when we're mm -hmm. when we're doing it, that's when we're learning the most, right? And and so if you have a real estate agent that's doing one deal a year or one deal every other year, there's no way for, he could be going to all the classes he wants, but if he's not in it mm -hmm. doing it. Right. And, and in my opinion, it's 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 what's best for the consumer. Because you don't want to be represented by an agent that's doing one deal every other year, and what or do you even think, is a that, few deals every year. It seems like that's a lot of family type stuff. It's like yeah. a family, or they're selling their own home. You know, I see a lot of them all of a sudden they haven't had a license active. All of a sudden, pops up activated owner owner agent is listed. You know, they're listing yeah. their own home to either get it out on, on more eyeballs on it, or to reduce their own commissions or playing on the sale of their own home. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that lawsuit. That's going to be a big thing. It's going to play out on who ends up paying for the buyer's agent commission. Is Ed? is under scrutiny more than it's ever been in my entire career. It was always something where that's just kind of the, the listing agent's actually paying the buyer's agent, but ultimately the sales price is paying it. Right. You know, And I saw one of the things that's a big reason on the lawsuit of why they're able to go after it is who ends up actually paying that. Not only is the seller, who's, who's basically paying for both people to negotiate against him, but also the title company gets instructions to just pay that agent directly. It's not going to the seller's brokerage, then to the buyer's brokerage. Right. They're paying it off of the settlement statement to avoid that accounting and avoid that money coming in and getting checks and stuff like that. So that was a big linchpin that you saw in the lawsuit that said, wait a minute, where, when the money does get paid, who's actually paying it? It doesn't ever, it's not being paid to the listing agent, right? Yeah. It's getting all to the title company and then they're cutting two checks yeah. or three or whatever it is to the broker or to the agent. So that was where the, the plaintiff in this case was basically saying, nah. -uh, you're you're having it paid directly to to avoid the cost of the of accounting for that, and that's what they've been able to use around the country. So you're starting to see a lot more brokers just saying, whoa, 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 get all the money to us, then we'll pay the buyer's agent just to make sure that doesn't become an issue on all the all the other states. So you might mm -hmm. see that on the title world, you won't see it where it's Remax and Keller, or, you know, the two different brokerages. Now it'll all go to the seller or the listing agent, then the listing agent's the one that's actually going to be due. So who knows if the broker's going to say, well, that's on the agent to deal with that accounting and the 1099s and the tracking of all that, or if it's going to be that. So you can see mm. this is going to have a shakeup that's probably going to affect the industry for better or for worse coming down for the next little bit. We went through loan yeah. officer compensation changes like crazy after 08, and we've really never seen this kind of potential change to the way that real estate agents work. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because a lot of times uh, those brokerages 
uh, are proactive and they mm-hmm. kind of see how it's going to change and they change it before they need to. Right. And then some are just going to wait till they're forced to make that change. Right. And so. I think it's state by state. Every state's going to handle a little bit differently. One other thing I wanted to bring up is there's this big thought we were going to have foreclosure. So I want to look at some of the numbers we have for notice of defaults, which is the first step in foreclosure. So if you're going through a foreclosure, the lender will send out what's called an NOD or notice of default. There's a 90-day waiting period before it actually goes into foreclosure. And a lot of times loans are resolved or sold or something before it goes clear to foreclosure. But the first step of knowing if there's a wave of these foreclosures is those notice of defaults. So let's jump to slide. I think it's what, number three? three. Let's jump to number three. Yeah, so this shows notice of defaults and foreclosures, notice of defaults in red, so the line above, and foreclosures below. And they're always less. You're never going to see more notice of defaults, or no, no, more foreclosures than notice of defaults, obviously. Yeah, it's usually about 50%. Right, right. Yeah. So you can see that curve, and it got really bad in 08. That's probably the worst we've ever seen, or hopefully ever will. Oh, yeah. But you can see how much it's not gone up like everybody thought. Now, some of it was covid restrictions didn't even let lenders foreclose, but really there wasn't this uptick in defaults anyway, because people weren't late because they couldn't replace their payment because their rate was so low, or they couldn't replace the house. Yeah. Like they could back in 08 with with cheaper prices or things like that. So, so here's the interesting thing about that graph is you if you look at 2018 to 2019 in notice of defaults, that is a flat line. Hmm. So in, in my opinion, without, you know, because it didn't play out this way, but without COVID, I think that would have been the correction year. Hmm. And I don't think it would have peaked anywhere near what we saw in yeah, 08, 08 or yeah. 09. It's like it wasn't going to be there. But we were seeing that notice of defaults and foreclosures were starting to come back a little bit. And that's when the cycle, I think, would have really happened was 2018, 2019, 2020 would have been more of a correction year. Hmm. But instead, we went the complete opposite direction and foreclosures basically went away. I mean, we've never seen foreclosures as low as they were. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing that also kind of hurt the home prices because it was additional natural inventory. There's always going to be foreclosures. There's going to be people lose their job, pass away. Things are going to happen. That's a natural part of loaning or a car, a home, whatever it is. There's going to be natural times where those loans are going to go bad or go south, whether it's the on purpose, whether it's fraud or whether it is just People pass away. People lose their jobs. They get injured on the job. You know, stuff happens. They get cancer diagnosis. I mean, stuff happens. So to see it go that low to completely zero, sellers weren't selling. Builders started slowing down. You could just see that there was this this demand that just took over the supply chain. And then rates were so low, there was just free money everywhere, and everybody was just jumping all over it. Especially certain areas like southern Utah, we absorbed so much of the demand because it is such a wonderful place to live. It got discovered, and you know, it it just have the regulation that California and Nevada and Arizona was having. It was kind of a safe haven for people that just were getting sick of some of the regulations as well. So it just popped on the map like it hasn't popped. Mm-hmm. And you look at cycles in St. George, there was about 15, 10 year like little bubbles. We saw a big one right before 08, but the whole country did. We saw a really big one during COVID, more than we probably will see again. So um, the other one I thought, you sent me the chart before, I think it's number four here. This one I thought was really interesting. In fact, I misread it. I called you and said, hey, I think your chart's wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's so not. explain this one. Explain this one. <laughs> well, so you know, I tell people when we talk about the foreclosures that were happening uh, last year where there really weren't any, and I would tell people, this is bad. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? This isn't bad. This is good. Foreclosures are bad. You know, and so that's good that we're not having any foreclosures. 
And I'm like, well, if you look on a micro level, yes, I, I feel for the families and the people that are getting foreclosed on. But on a macro level, if we look at it from a county perspective, we need to have foreclosure, just like you're saying. Like that, that represents a healthy market. When there's no foreclosures happening, there's an imbalance. There's a correction that needs to be made. And, and the important thing is the notice of default to foreclosure is still a 50% drop. So even the notice of defaults is that first step. It's not like every notice of default goes into foreclosure, right? But it's inventory that gets forced in and helps helps with, like you said, keeping the market healthy. So this graph takes into account households. So in Washington County, that last graph we looked at, it showed the ups and downs of foreclosures over the last 30 years. Well, what about when we take into account the growth that we've experienced in Washington County? Because if if this graph, if that graph, that original graph was just showing uh, just taking into account foreclosures and the households that were in it, then it would be more of a straight line. But this one takes into account the households. And so and that's in, number five, right? Number four. Or four. Pop that yeah. back up just real quick again for us. So number four. Yeah. So in 2008, um, you can't even tell that it's there because it was so low. So that was one in every 38 homes in 2008 went through foreclosure. That's incredible. That's that's the reverse of having a healthy market yeah, on the that other was end. That's too many foreclosures. Bad. Too yeah. many foreclosures. <laughs> way too many foreclosures. Right. Um, and then you fast forward to 2022. And there were one in like eleven thousand. That's incredible. They got foreclosed. You can on. see, yeah. There, there's not that kind of spike. And whenever you see any kind of spike, there's always a reason behind that can be good or bad that's wrong from it. But yeah. you don't want to see those kind, especially that rapid of an uptick. Right. There's always a correction. There's always something that'll that'll try to balance that back to more of what's normal. So that's probably the most interesting chart I've seen in relation to 2008 because you always see 2008 just imploding and everything's been better. And this is kind of showing that reverse what happens mm-hmm. when you've got so little foreclosure activity to the actual population of homes out there. Yeah. And we as an industry will look at that too. And even the regulators in our business says if you don't have a certain number of foreclosures, your guidelines are too tight. You're saying no to too many people. You're not taking on enough risks to help credit be available. So there is that saying it's that interesting sense. that you would say, okay, well, foreclosures are bad. Yeah, yes, they're bad on the people. They're bad in that that person. But if you don't have enough of them, they're not adding to the inventory and they're not keeping prices where they're level because you have competition at a lower price. Foreclosures are already going to sell cheaper than a brand new home. So it kind of keeps those prices from going crazy because it's other competition you didn't have. And it's something where if nobody's getting foreclosed on, then maybe we're saying no to more loans and credit availability is starting to shrink. So that's, I thought that was a really interesting chart to the point where I called yeah. you and said, hey, I think your chart's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a different look at it, but it's a, it's you know beneficial to take that into account. And if we look at the number of foreclosures uh, that happened last year, so we averaged uh, two and a half foreclosures per month. Wow. Um, wow. That's a record by... Yeah. As far back as you can probably find it, yeah. it's just it's zero. That's effectively zero. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much zero. Um, if you look at the average over the last thirty years, it's twenty-five mm-hmm. per month. Wow! So twenty-five foreclosures per month is the average for Washington County over the last thirty years. Okay, and we were at two point five. Wow! So we were well below it. And and, then, that's, and everybody's predicting this big, big crash and all this inventory and all this kind of stuff, and it's just. It, a lot of it's doom and gloom. A lot of it's the media trying to, to, to jump on what's happening. And everybody said, well, if they raise the rates too much, the whole thing's going to crash. And the market's more resilient than we ever believe. The supply and demand plays way bigger of a role than the given rate or the foreclosure market. It really does. Yeah. It, it really does come down to supply and demand much more than anything else. Yeah, the only reason that there would be you know, this eminent uh, 
influx of foreclosures would be if there was some kind of government entity controlling it. So like if there was, because we had, we had the moratoriums, you know, during uh, COVID where banks couldn't foreclose, they just weren't allowed to, but that ended long ago. And I think even if that wasn't there, there wasn't a ton of foreclosures anyway. So it's not like it was a, now it's certain there's going to be pockets. I'm sure there was pockets where it was affecting people more. Maybe there had a, uh, I remember there was a plant that was doing a bunch of, um, I think it was chickens or something like that. An entire plant had to shut down, which shut down the whole city. So I'm sure there was definitely pockets of that that needed that protection, but most of they yeah. didn't need it because people were still able to make their payment. And it was cheaper than replacing it with rent or another home where 08, they were upside down. They didn't put any money in their yeah. payment could be cheaper on another house, they just walked away. Yeah. So many people just said that. In fact, they used to call buy and bail. So where basically, you, while your credit was good, you buy the house at a cheaper rate, cheaper payment, all this, and just let this one go because you were upside down. Yeah. So they had the programs to try to help prevent that with underwater loans and all that kind of stuff. So we're not seeing anything near that type of thing. No. Pretty much everybody has equity. I mean, the only reason you wouldn't have equity is if you bought in the last year or so. Right. And you might even still have a little bit of equity. Right. right. Uh, we I think it went up 5.25%, I think, is even, which was better than thought. They thought it would be a negative or even just a base year. Most of the reports I saw was about a 5% growth even, yeah. which is still even a little above what you thought would happen. Yeah. Everything beat what they thought. All the predictions were a lot more doom and gloom. And I think we're going to see a little more wait and see. Some of this stuff still working itself out a little bit. But it was much more of a soft landing than anybody thought, which is what this was designed to do. Yeah. There's still smart people that are behind this with raising the rates and kind of curbing and keeping an eye on things. They get it wrong. They get it right. But I think that was the idea of what they did with raising rates. Just let things catch up. Slow down. It was way too hot. Let's let everything kind of catch up. And I think that's what this year is going to be. It's kind of a wait and see year. So we did see rates peak around 8% right around October. I think as of recording this, we're around 6.5%. And I think that's where you're going to see things level off. So we got about 20 seconds left. What What's your prediction for 2024? You know, my ideal 2024 is the same as 2023. Maybe a little bit of an uptick, maybe a little bit better, but I'd be completely happy if we duplicated 2023. Great. This is Jared Plew with Infinity Title. My name is Ryan Bolton. If you need help with a mortgage loan, give me a call. Check out my website at ryanbolton.com. This has been the Clear to Close podcast with Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones. Please submit your comments, questions, and topics for future episodes to cleartoclosepod at gmail.com. That's clear, the number two, closepod at gmail.com. Or findmyhomeutah.com or ryanbolton.com. Please like, follow, and share. And until next time, this is the Clear to Close podcast. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Patriot Home Mortgage or Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. License number NMLS 299717. This has been a production from a podcast studio.